kind of this will explain what's going on in the final two episodes. And I guess it does, but there's no context. It's just like the episode before the last episode just starts in the middle of one of those conversations, and that just that's the last two episodes. It's just this weird, like artistic stream of consciousness. Nice. Lasts about forty minutes. And what I mean, it's basically you're watching someone undergo cognitive behavioral therapy. So it is kind of you know health healthy in that way. Well, even though users haven't, I mean, listeners haven't been privy to it since Kyle and I have been talking for an extended length now about uh, anime and apparently CBT, you're probably listening to a show that is only tangentially related to those things, and that's this show, The Big Bang Theory Theory. Hi, I'm Nick. And I'm Kyle, and we'll need some cognitive behavioral therapy to, you know, get over the trauma of having watched this entire TV. That's true. It's... So often when I tell people that I do this as a podcast, they're like, oh, how do you get through it? And I feel like an alcoholic and just like one episode at a time. You know, you can't you can't think about the next six or seven years we have to endure. It's just <laughs> what's what's going on with Raj this week, man. What's and, that quirky Sheldon going to do now? Oh, he's scared of birds. Yeah. Ah, that that tracks. Well, but before we. We talk down too much about the show. I guess, first of all, uh, the, the brief explainer for any new listeners who happen to have wandered in is Kyle and I fancy ourselves as actual nerd types. And as nerd types, uh, we know a lot of other nerds who watched the show that we're watching and hate it. We decided to investigate why that is. There, now you know what the show's about. Uh, and with that, nerd types would actually be a great name for this podcast if we ever transitioned. I, somebody else has to have taken that already, but I like it. Yeah, I, I wonder you know why I like it. I mean, Do I you like want to know the the deeply nerdy reason why I like it. That's more than it's just nerd types. It, I don't know. Is it somehow connected to phenotypes? I don't. Know, what's your What's your deal? Sort. It sounds a little bit like new types, which are the psychic people in the mobile suit Gundam universe. All right. Well, we've established our credentials. Let's talk about the episode. <laughs> so I've been doing this thing of, I think, spoiling my feelings about the episode. Maybe it's just going to be a recurring thing, because I think today's episode gets a solid 9, maybe even a 10 out of a 13. 13? Yeah. Uh, today's episode, I'm going to struggle, I think, a little bit with the short summary, because uh, it is rife with incident. This is like second episode in a row that feels like a real episode of television to me. <laughs> and I guess just to hit all the major points before we break it apart, uh, the, the general plot A of the episode is Penny and Leonard are exploring whether they can be friends. Uh, Penny mentions to Leonard that she's going to take out herself out for a movie. Leonard invites himself along. And they, they pause, and they're like, can we do this? This is the first time we've really hung out, hung out alone since we, we dated. And so they, they, they go on that adventure. Meanwhile, plot B, a very concrete and follow-through positive plot B, is that uh, Sheldon <laughs> finds a blue jay has perched itself just outside the window. And this is the episode where Sheldon reveals he has, uh, I think it's ornithophobia. Ornithophobia. That's that was difficult. Uh, fear of birds. And so he's he's horrified of this blue jay, and spends most of the episode trying to get rid of it through various means. Before Bernadette and Amy come over, uh, Amy not Amy, uh, Bernadette befriends the blue jay, teaches Sheldon how to overcome his fear of the blue jay. He falls in love with the blue jay. Uh, but opens the window 
the Blue Jay flies out, and then Sheldon uh, sadly uh, puts up signs looking for the Blue Jay, uh, but Lee keeps a Blue Jay egg apparently to to bring to hatch. And then getting back to a plot, they Penny and Leonard do go to a movie together. Leonard enjoys the freedom of not being on a date, which means that he gets to pick the movie he wants and make Penny pay for everything uh, that she gets and generally not feel like he has to coax his way into sex. And I think the audience cheered a little too loudly when when Leonard put his foot down and is like, all right, you can pay for your own ticket. That seemed weird and gross to me, but what are you going to do? After the movie, they go out for a drink and Penny starts hitting on a cute screenwriter, which upsets Leonard. Leonard starts talking with... Upset a, Kyle, too, but for entirely different reasons that we'll come back to. Hey, you were in my heart, all right, Kyle? I, I saw it happening, and I'm like, <laughs> I know that Kyle has been in the in the coffee shop or the bar, and that Penny has not approached him. And we will, we will, I, I will hold him close to me for the Penny that did not hold him. But uh, anyway, they... And then Leonard starts talking with the lady, and they get annoyed with each other, and it's clear that they both have some sort of feelings for each other, though it's not exactly clear what those are by the end of the episode. They both acknowledge that those feelings exist, um, but they don't make out or anything. There's a moment where they almost do, and then uh, Leonard sort of fucks it up, I guess. And that's the episode. Um, There's a whole lot more stuff that happened. I, I did not really deal with any of the the individual jokes because, like I said, plot-heavy episode. Kyle, any major plot points that you'd like to add, or shall we get a nitpicking? No, that's basically that's basically a good summary. This was like sort of a classic sitcom episode in the sense that it had like an A plot and a wacky B plot. Yeah, and I loved the B plot. Like I, I mean. At first, I was annoyed because I'm like, oh, look, like another random neuroses of Sheldon to for everyone to have to put up with for the whole episode. But no, they really lean into it. And and Sheldon confronts his fear and ends up having a different position at the end. He he materially changes through the course of the episode. And it's delightful. Um, and everyone is involved, like Wallowitz and, Wallowitz and Raj come over, and they don't have a big part, but they, they chip in, and they, they're there for him when he tries to scare off the bird, and then Bernadette and Amy come in with a different approach and help, like, it was, it's, I'm, I'm surprised that I'm surprised, like, this was such a relieving episode to watch, and I feel like I'm losing my mind, because I'm coming into this podcast with maybe the most positive energy I ever have. <laughs> yes. Um, I guess something that I, that stood out to me is, um, I'm someone who is friends with a lot of my exes, and I think there is always a weird thing when you stop dating them, but you, you do continue to hang out. And something that I was thinking about when they, they do a thing where Leonard, uh, is very stressed out about going on the non-date with Penny because he's like, oh, but what if she thinks it's a date? Or what if she thinks I think it's a date and it's actually not a date? And that goes back and forth for a while. And so he's trying on different outfits uh, to match the level of appropriateness for the non-date. And his concerns about whether or not it's a date reminded me of my own feelings. And I think there's always a hope when you hang out with an ex that maybe, just maybe, you're going to get jacked off. Like, at least there's going to be some hand-in-mouth stuff. 
You know, Leonard's like, of course nothing's going to happen, but I need to be ready if it does happen. Not that it should or that I want it to, but if it does, I need to be ready for it. And I think that's the energy that fucks everything up, is the, you know, we, we're, we're going to just try to hang out, but there is a little inkling in my lizard brain that hopes you're still totally horny for me, and so we cannot just be real humans together. Horny or just super bored. Either, yes. Um, looking for, even for the desperation. Just, the, just yeah, well, hoping that maybe Penny herself has been single long enough that she is weak. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm not, Leonard in this episode is not creepy in the slightest, but I think... Well, he's, he's, you're right, he's not creepy. He's a little, like, his emphasis on how he can be a completely different person because there's no sex on the table is a little weird. And so that is, yeah, I think that is something that is worth exploring. Like, not creepy, but yes, it's over and over again uh, on their non-date Leonard explains that the only reason I saw those movies, the only reason I went out, the only reason I put up with X, Y, and Z. The only reason I ever paid for anything in this relationship. Yeah, is because I wanted to have sex with you. Um, I felt proud of myself in contrast because as I've mentioned on the podcast before, I once uh, turned down like weird, freaky, intense sex because I wanted to watch the director's cut of Dark City. And I think I I feel good that uh, for for reasons that are or aren't positive, who knows, sex is not enough to make me uh, give up on anything. (laughs) Um, But yeah, and that's, I don't know, it was good. And then Penny, I think, came off looking better. I, I like, I want to say that it might be a little rude that she kind of abandoned, well, that she did abandon Leonard to chat up the screenwriter guy. But at the same time, Leonard has no right to be upset about who she's talking with. And I was trying to think about it, like, if I were out with just another guy friend and we'd never fucked, and and he started chatting up a lady or something, like, I might be a little annoyed that I have to figure out what to do with myself, but I don't think... I would in any way consider that inappropriate um, where I think Leonard feels really put off by it because again, he's secretly hoping that there's going to be makeouts somehow. And then Penny sabotages him because he starts chatting with a lady and she's like, Oh, did you know he's into these eight different nerd things, including that half of his pornography is animated. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, I don't know. I, I really think Penny went into it much more cash than Leonard did. Thoughts, feedback, anything, Kyle? <laughs> no, I mean, I think that's right. Ed. She seems like the kind of person, like you, who's just so, so, who's so comfortable with the blurry boundary between friendship and other types, just lives in the, she just exists comfortably in that liminal space. Howard being a nerd, liking his rules, or I'm sorry, Leonard being a nerd, liking his rules, liking his strict categories, that makes him more uncomfortable. He likes things either in column A or column B. Yeah, he, he wants that strict categorization, and it's not working out. But I don't know. He needs to learn how to chill, I guess. Like, that that's what he gets for having pervy hopes. You know, there's nothing wrong with having pervy hopes, but they're not, they're, they weren't realistic. What else point? Like, something that, and this is super duper nitpicky, but it was one of those jokes that made me question again who it is that this show is for. And I don't mean in a bad way, but it's there's a scene where uh, Raj and Wallowitz are 
all the nerds, all the bro nerds are at the apartment while while Sheldon is still trying to scare off the bird. And they're all going to watch the new, well, I guess a new-ish uh, Star Wars Blu-ray edition. And because Sheldon is so distracted with the bird, Wallowitz says something like, oh, you know, we've got to hurry up and watch this before George Lucas changes it again. And that got a hard laugh from the audience. And that's like, who, and that's what I was like, who the fuck, who the fuck is the audience for this show? Because I think the general population at large doesn't know or give a shit enough about uh, Star Wars or the Lucas edits or anything to laugh that hard at that joke. And so I'm wondering, are these real nerds watching this or do they just recognize that that's something that George Lucas does? Yeah, like, I assume that was just like a classic, uh, you know, uh, oh, hey, I understand that reference, even if I don't like think like you're right. I'm sure that, you know, they're not real nerds because real words would have been like, yeah, well, two things. First, uh, first off, I mostly laughed in the sense of, ha, huh, remember when that was the most annoying thing about Star Wars was how George Lucas kept re-editing oh, them and you couldn't... That sweet, like, precious angel, we were so wrong. We, yeah. we were so wrong to ever no look side-eyes at him. <laughs> that's... I can't, I mean, I, I, that's this is the first time I've admitted this. it out loud, Kyle. He was right. Well, he wasn't right. He was less wrong. <laughs> so that was, that was a real feeling I had. But also, yes, I feel like at the time, the nerd response would have been like, yeah, fuck George Lucas, whereas the audience is mostly just like, oh, yeah, George Lucas is a guy who definitely made the Star Wars movies and also re-edits them a lot. Yeah, it was, I don't know. Like, And there's nothing wrong with the joke. I was just shocked it got as big of a reaction as it did. But uh, same way I was shocked when, when Leonard was like, $11 for the movie ticket, Penny, and everyone's like, woo! I'm like... Friends can still buy each other their movie tickets. Like, I guess no. it's I guess it's good he's establishing a boundary or whatever. But eesh. I uh, bought you movie tickets and popcorn, and I never knew I was allowed to ask for sex. I was a little disappointed when I found that out. Frankly, yeah, it's if we ever go into a movie again, like let's just not rule out one of our hand being on the other's thigh, or more realistically, us reaching for each other's thigh at the same time. Bashing our hands into each other, feeling clumsy and awkward, and then not looking each other in the eye for a couple of days. Aww, I like it. <laughs> that, that's our meat cute, is that we keep fucking up meat cutes. <laughs> like, <laughs> we, we both reach down to grab the book at the same time, bash our heads into each other, but be, because you're strong and intense and I'm a big heavy lug, one of us gets a concussion. and so <laughs> That's my brand, though. I love that shit. <laughs> I would watch an entire relationship that was just that. Maybe not as the key relationship, but as like a background relationship in a movie or TV show, or like a Love Actually style anthology. That would easily, immediately become my favorite. I was just going to try to transition into another question that we kind of already explored, but I just remembered something else about it. Is like, what is the lamest thing you've pretended or tried to be into for the sake of a date? Like, something where you were not into it at all, but you're like, I guess if I'm going to make a connection with this person, I just have to explore this at least. I didn't have anything in mind when I asked that, so I have to think about it myself, but... 
Yeah, I was thinking about that. I mean, it's just not... I don't think, like, that's something that we necessarily... Well, I don't... I mean, I'd be surprised if you did it that much, and I... Well, I'm not saying there's a big thing. Like, the the first thing that's coming to mind for me is, like, honestly, just watching TV shows I wouldn't have watched, like... Yeah, I mean, that's... I think that's... Like, I think there's a difference between, like, oh, if you like this thing, I'm willing to give it a shot, as opposed to, like... You know, I feel like the boundary is, like... You know what... You know where the line is... The line is, is it something that you're doing together or is it something that you're trying to get into? I mean, I guess that doesn't count for Leonard because he's specifically doing it with her. So that's... Yeah. Well, actually, well, you just made me think about, you know, what, you know, something, whether you're, you're doing it because you you think they might be into it. I got one. Finish your thing and then I'll tell you mine. No, you go first and then I'll follow up. So, uh, one of my, my big ex... Was really into uh, into Harry Potter uh, so much so that like I, every time I see an adult woman who's into Harry Potter now, I'm like never again. No matter how many other things I might like about them, it just it reads as a red flag to me. But um, yeah, well, that reminds but, me. I may have told you this joke before. It was it was a friend's joke that he told about how he's never met an adult woman that loves Disney who also doesn't love being choked during sex. Yeah, but, but that's just true. I mean, I feel like most most women, yeah, I feel like they would admit that about themselves. Yeah, I feel like and just also most that's a, people. Yeah, that's just a, yeah, that's just a lovely thing. That's not bad. Um, whereas, um, you know, it's not even like I don't like Harry Potter. It was just like, I'd be like, ah, I see you're rereading Harry Potter for the eighth time. She was like, yeah, when was the last time you reread these? And I was like, I don't, probably never. I kind of remember them. Also, we watched the movies, like, last week. Um, That's a lot. Yeah. So, so I kind of, I remember. And then, uh, I mean, I'm being a, so I guess the answer is I wasn't really into it. I was just being a dick to their love of the thing that they love. So this isn't a story that makes either of us look good. Uh, I did go to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter with them and felt like, you you know this would be this would be much more fun if I was with someone who had a little bit more ironic detachment about the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, I think that would be fascinating to see someone who's so genuinely in love with it, but it would be a lot to handle. Um, also, let's just let's stick. You know, so I am this person about so many things, as you well know. So, like, there are you know, it's not entirely fair of me to be like judgmental. Anyway. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm nerd shaming someone, and that is all. Well, you know, obviously, what, what pot calling sh- the kettle black. Then. What would the show be if we weren't gatekeeping? That's that's what this is. You know, maybe maybe that's the next step. We've we've probably got as many audience members as we're going to get by our our show's name, The Big Bang Theory. Theory being so close to the incredibly popular name of the show, it's based on The Big Bang Theory. All right, we've we've maxed out the the SEO on that. So now, what if we're approaching episode 100, we need a new title. And I think maybe we should call it Goalkeepers. Because that way, uh, we know it's a reference to us keeping out the nerds that don't meet our arbitrary and ever-changing criteria. While we might get in some sports nuts. You know, some people they are like, oh, this could be a hockey thing or a soccer thing. We get more random numbers in. Oh, but the other thing I was thinking about the dating and the friendship thing more specifically is that I was annoyed with Leonard 
when he goes on the friend date with Penny for the movie because he picks a movie because like Penny's like, hey, let's go to like whatever new romantic Jennifer Aniston comedy there is. And Leonard's like, I hate those. I only did that because you were having sex with me because I get to choose the movie. I want to watch a documentary about the construction of this dam. Uh, And that's where I was like, just because you're not trying to have sex with her doesn't mean you shouldn't still do something that your friend wouldn't at least partially enjoy. Yeah, like, should, just, I mean, asking for, hey, let's compromise and find a movie we both yeah, want to see is fine. Like, you saying, shouldn't punish her. <laughs> also, I've, I've having sat through both, being a nerd, let me tell you, the pain of watching a boring, formulaic, romantic sitcom, or even, uh, it, uh, or even a, well, it's weird, because he specifically says the type of movie where a woman sits on a beach house for two hours and then turns around and realizes the love was with her all along. That's not a romantic comedy. That's not the kind of movie Jennifer Aniston would ever be in. That's like a Nicholas Sparks film. You get, yes. like, uh, Rachel McAdams for that. That's a totally different... Or if they're doing, like, the older version, you get, I don't know, uh, like a Julia Roberts type or someone like that. Right. But anyway, setting aside those genre distinctions... The pain, watching a formulaic romantic movie where you know everything that's going to happen in the first five minutes, it can be acute depending on how well written it is, but it pales in comparison to the pain of watching a pretentious documentary where you know the entire thesis of the documentary within the first five minutes of the documentary and there's still two and a half hours to go. That is a form of suffering that is virtually unparalleled in human existence. It is miserable. Yeah, and I think it's a problem with uh, maybe most documentaries, at least these days, is, like you said, they give you their thesis statement, and then you know that everything else is going to go exactly as you expect. That it's not like a fun movie where there's going to be a twist, not unless it's a really good documentary that, you know, got findings different than what it expected. Otherwise, you are watching a lecture. Yeah, I do love those, but I mean, I I haven't seen that many of them, but that is basically my favorite genre of documentary. It's a documentary that starts out about one thing, and you get like 30 minutes in, it's like, holy shit, this is a whole other thing that I thought of. Yes. Those are great. I think they're hard to come by, but I agree, yes. Yeah. The classic example for me is like Exit Through the Gift Shop. Any other nitpicky things you want to go through before we transition into our nerdy thing of the week? I mean, I feel like we still haven't talked enough about the bird. You know, we haven't, uh, which is cool, because uh, we actually have stuff to talk about in this episode. So, tell us about the bird. Uh, so this, ironically, uh, this is another personal memory, uh, well, sort of personal pop culture memory. The structure of the B-plot of this episode kept reminding me of, like, a weird, sweet, nostalgic episode of television I remember from like way back that's for some reason apparently burned into my brain forever I hadn't thought about it in like a billion years but apparently it was just there waiting because there was an episode of The New Adventures of Winnie the Pooh which was not the original Winnie the Pooh TV series which was released I think in like the 70s mm-hmm. but this was like a 90s TV series that was still about and I don't I don't really remember watching that show much i must have only ever watched a handful of episodes but one of the episodes that i watched repeatedly that always has a warm place in my heart is about rabbit you know the type a compulsive asshole hundred acre woods gang he finds a baby blue jay 
and who and he's immediately like, oh, I hate this thing. Somebody needs to take this off my hands. But it's like freezing. It's the middle of winter. It's freezing to death. He has a conscience after all, so he takes it back. He raises it. He names her. He names her. I think like Carrie or Kara. No, Tessie. So Tessie and Tessie becomes like his surrogate child. Aww. He like, and this is this is not over the course of like multiple episodes. That's I think what's moving about it is it's basically like a little mini film, whereas normally they'd just be like, here's a new character in the show. But in this, it's like, no, the single episode like starts with her as a baby. He raises her like, you know, until she's old, until she can talk and she's old enough. And, you know, because it's the hundred acre wood, she becomes her own anthropomorphic girl. And eventually she decides she wants to, it's time to learn to fly. And of course, Rabbit, being a control freak, doesn't like this, both because she could get hurt and because he knows that once she learns to fly, it's only going to be a matter of time before she flies away. Does this take a hard turn towards misery at this point or? No, no. He he, finally, you know, the other Hundred Acre Woods gangs come together and have like a little intervention. They convince him that, you know, this is what she needs. And so he supports her learning to fly. And at the end of the episode, you know, she she flies off to the south, never to be seen again. You know, he loves her and, and she, you know, I think she calls him dad. And it's basically like this is the story of. Literally, rabbit watching his child leave the nest. That is very and feeling, sweet. And I think, and I think the the final shot of the episode is him curled up on the couch with like a stuffed animal that he gave her, a little doll, just sitting in his chair with his blanket, like hugging it, missing her. Oh, the fate of all parents. Kyle, why have you brought true feelings into this show? <laughs> because that's basically Sheldon goes through that in this episode, just in the funny version. Yeah, uh, one particular line that i liked a lot was when sheldon has gotten over his fear thanks to bird debt and wants to keep the bird uh, amy mentions that she has an extra cage because at the lab a monkey slipped on a banana peel and broke its neck which was both tragic and hilarious <laughs> also amy um expresses annoyance at the affection that sheldon is giving the bird because uh, she, every episode is getting angrier and angrier, I guess, that Sheldon's not fingering her. So, yes, <laughs> that, that's the true season five tension. It's not what's going to happen with Penny and Leonard, but is, is Sheldon ever going to get it wet? So, good times. Any other bird stuff you want to talk about? Uh, I guess it makes sense that Bernadette charms the bird off the couch because she basically is a Disney princess. So. She is a delight. I only liked her more because of that. Ugh. Sweet, sweet Bernadette. Alright, now I'm pushing this into the future for our nerd stuff. I've asked it enough times. I have one loaded up this Go week. Go ahead. Oh, by the way, listeners, this is where we recommend something you should watch. Aside from, or in addition to, The Big Bang Theory. Uh, and I will go ahead. I, the other night, rewatched for the first time in a long time the film Twelve Monkeys. And... I was afraid it wasn't going to hold up, and I was wrong. It's actually better than I remember. And I won't say too much about it, because to do so would spoil a lot. But it is a Terry Gilliam movie. I've not seen many Terry Gilliam movies, but every Terry Gilliam movie that I have seen, and from what I hear, is they are all a bit chaotic and have a bit of a, a sardonic 
sense of humor, I, I would say. But uh, this particular movie is features Bruce Willis. And when I was watching it, I wondered, is this the last movie where Bruce Willis smiled? Is this the last movie where Bruce Willis showed any emotion? Um, and he lives in a... Oh, God. I, it was very upsetting watching it. And I'm going to... Hey, trigger warning if the pandemic bothers you. <laughs> um, he lives in a not-too-distant future where a mysterious virus has wiped out most of humanity. And so um, humankind has been forced to move underground. Uh, and he is a, he's a prisoner, and he has been sent back to the early 90s to learn more about the virus so that back in the future they can find a cure. And something they emphasize, which doesn't make too much sense, uh, I guess, except in the sense that uh, he must be in a time-space that is you know, set in stone that he accepts he can't change, is that his mission is not to try to prevent the virus from uh, outbreaking and spreading. Uh, the, the impression is that, that that's just done. His future is set in stone. He's just trying to gather the information that is going to, make, going to help them get uh, the, the cure for the virus to move forward from his point in time. But what the move, movie explores most of all, um, and this is the last I'll go because any more plot stuff would be, like I said, too spoilery, um, is, is what it does to a person to have kind of two realities and identities existing at the same time. You know, Bruce Willis starts off knowing that he's traveled in time, uh, but as the movie progresses, he questions more and more what his actual, how much he can trust his perceptions. Uh, and I will leave it there, but I will say that uh, it's a great sci-fi movie. Um, it's great if you want to see, like I said, Brad um, um, Bruce Willis when he still cared about doing roles. And you get to see an early Brad Pitt, who I think was at least nominated for an Academy Award for this, if he didn't actually uh, earn it. But uh, honestly, I think he's overacting a little. I think it's good to see an early Brad Pitt from when he was maybe trying too hard. And I think he really settled into better acting later. Uh, but I don't know. Maybe I'm being too judgmental. In any case, uh, I guess there's, there's also a TV series that's based off it. I know nothing about that. Check that out if you like. I recommend specifically the film 12 Monkeys. Go watch it. Kyle, your yeah. turn. So, our, uh, obligatory film nerd thing, um, which doesn't actually enhance your appreciation of the movie, but 12 Monkeys is actually based on a French short... This sounds yes. like something that, that's in like an Onion article. But 12 Monkeys is based off a French six, 1962 short film called La Jetée, which of course I've never seen. But, you know, if you really want to take a deep dive, I guess you could, you know, add that too. And also the TV show, which I've never watched, um, got great reviews. A lot of people really liked it. That didn't stop it from being unwatched by basically everyone. So there's that. But yeah, so my thing, uh, oh, you know what my favorite Terry Gilliam movie is? The Fisher King. You ever see that one? I think I saw it once. Uh, wait, no, no, I didn't. I think that was a movie that when I was a kid, like, was on stars over and over again. Uh, and at the time, I remember looking like a boring adult movie, and so I never watched it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny. Um, this is not my recommendation, but as long as we're talking about Terry Gilliam stuff... My, so Robin Williams is in that movie, which is great casting because every Terry and Gilliam movie 
uh, almost contractually has to have like this weird character who's detached from reality, who, you know, is sort of like the Don Quixote archetype who thinks he's like some kind of crazy person or fantasy person or whatever. Sure. It's just written because all of his movies like have this thematic subtext. And who better to play that adult sort of man child delusional you know, thinks he's a knight on a grail quest than Robin Williams, right? He's basically, it's basically Robin Williams playing the same character Robin Williams plays in like 90% of his movies. What's funny is in this one, they give his delusional detached behavior an origin story, which is he watched his family be brutally murdered in front of him. So now you can go and you can watch any other Robin Williams movie and be like, is the reason he's doing this because he's had some sort of psychological break from reality because of like a mass shooting or something that he was a part of in his background? So that's fun. That does sound fun. All right. Hey, another soft recommend for a Gilliam for y'all. My actual recommendation is much less dark. Uh, I, I mostly hesitate because this, this feels like, like uh, what's, what, this is a very, this is a basic recommendation. This is like, you know, this is like recommending uh, a pumpkin spice latte in autumn, but fuck it. Well, um, you know why that happens, though, is because they're delicious. All right. Feel yes. no shame in recommending something that you enjoy. And similarly, this is a delicious thing. I finally watched the first season of Ted Lasso. I see. Which... Yeah, this this has been recommended to me over and over again. I'm going to admit I'm too lazy to ever watch it. But Kyle, tell us what I've been missing out on. Ted Lasso is the heartwarming story of an American football of American uh, collegiate football coach, American football who moves to Britain to become the coach of a European football, meaning soccer, team. Not like a kid's team, like a professional, like highest division. So uh, the show doesn't really expect you to know anything about soccer or football, so it's fine if you don't. I definitely don't. But basically, like this is, this is a high-level professional football team that should have like a you know, uh, really, you know, serious support staff and a professional coach. And instead they get Ted Lasso, who's like this, uh, I can't remember if he's from like Texas or North Carolina or whatever, but he's definitely like this deep fried, warm Southern accented dude who does not understand the sport at all. And basically like, it's like a Mary Poppins style thing where he just like, instead of bringing any kind of skill, what he brings is his like boundless optimism and feel goodness. And of course the, uh, the major tension in the show is like, you immediately like this person more than basically like any other character you've ever met on television ever. And, um, but he's up against the British who are famously like the most uh, emotionally repressed, sar- like sardonic um, they basically come in two modes and you ba- you get both versions in the TV show. There's like the ones who can't talk about their emotions because they think they, it's unseemly. And the ones who just call everyone like, uh, an incredibly stressful string of curse words, like upon knowing them for five seconds. And it's like, well, how is this good, clean, like American guy, you know, going to deal with this? But it's, it's just basically the entire first season is him just like, healing people through the power of his and it's not obnoxious i should say it's not like it's like well you know it's not like a country song where he's just like um you know what you need is jesus and heteronormativity it's like he's incredibly like sensitive and he's not a real person is basically what i'm saying as several people pointed out he's just like this uh 
aspirational amalgamation of all of these like you know reconstructed masculinity tropes where he's simultaneously very confident and self-assured uh but he never approaches conflict directly and he's always keyed into like the emotional needs of everyone around him and he loves musicals so and he's played by jason sudeikis who is of course you know a, a pretty fun warm guy who's played a lot of uh quirky characters in the past but this one is it gives quite a performance it's like this warm-hearted dude who just wants everyone to believe in themselves so in that sense it's you know i hadn't thought about this until right now but it's almost it's very sort of anime-esque in that sense which is like he's like no we're losing he's like he's like ah we're losing he's like we need to believe in ourselves more and it's like but coach that's not don't we also need strategies like strategy sure but also believe in yourselves more have you tried the power of friendship? I think the problem is this team is it hasn't used hasn't learned the power of friendship yet. So once we master the power of friendship, we'll start winning. And so that's it's pretty nice. wholesome. Well, much like and my well written, it it is it's like clever and funny. Well, it's making me think of my Kuroko's basketball, which I keep forgetting to mention is literally translated as the basketball which Kuroko plays, and how all these basketball players have their own special powers, and yet somehow they've never learned teamwork. They, they need a Ted Lasso to get them into shape. Very much. Well, Kyle, I think we've done it again. We've made people feel good. We've made them feel bad. But most importantly, we've put our own voices out into the world because we're more important than most people and they need to hear our thoughts. Yes. Uh, I have no insightful parting words. Should I just make some fart noises and we call this one good? Yeah. All right. Fold it in. <laughs> <laughs> like we do.